Good morning. As I listened to Anna share that story, James alongside her, um, I'm reminded that the Jesus community is a people willing to suffer together. Because the truth of the matter is, we're all at the foot of the cross, all of our days. And so we are a people who will suffer together because we believe we're designed for it. And we also know that in that is our strength, that we have each other. It's a powerful thing to give witness. And in that suffering, there are tears. And each tear that is shared is a tear that is strengthening to someone else. And uh, I appreciate that about this group. And as one who is also seemingly willing to cry and unable to stop sometimes, for crying out loud, I, I wept when Free Willy went over the wall. <laughs> I, I have this enduring image of my childhood of my grandfather who we'd go visit him in Winona, Minnesota, two hours away, and usually it was for a weekend. We'd go for a couple nights at his house, and he had a bay window right on the driveway of his home, and, and uh, he'd be standing there waiting for us to get there, and he, he had an apron on because he cooked for us. Because growing up, my grandfather was a single dad to my mom. So he learned how to be a mom and a dad. And he cooked for us. And then when he would leave, he would always be standing there in that bay window again. And he'd be crying because we were leaving. And he knew it would be a while before he'd see us again. And the Jesus community is willing to cry together because we're all at the foot of the cross. Last night, just to kind of catch up where we left off, and we were talking about marriage and companionship and powerful assistance and being alongside and strong ally and all those powerful words of the togetherness of who God gives to us. And Lisa and I, she's my mirror, so I sort of review, what did you hear, how did it go, and she helps me to understand what I'm doing in this upfront kind of thing. And we are having a conversation about the joke I told between Adam and God, you know, and was... <laughs> You know, was, was that okay? I mean, was that joke? Should I share that joke? And she says, well, you know, I don't know. Maybe you should keep that joke in your pocket. And, well, you know, we kind of went back and forth around that to see. And, you know, and so I started thinking, you know, just for clarity of, of how our relationship really is, you know, because Matt was concerned for me, I know. And, and I, I, I thought of a story of, of Matt. Uh, Matt and Phyllis are in my congregation where I serve now. And Matt is 85 years old. And Matt and Phyllis have been married for more than 60 years. And about 10 years ago, Phyllis started uh, with the disease Alzheimer's and has begun, been losing her faculties, her memory, her mind, to today where it's pretty much completely gone. And I've watched Matt, and for years he would, with great dignity, get her prepared and bring her to worship every Sunday, and they would sit together and worship even though, I don't know what her comprehension was, but he was always there. And he came in to tell me that he was going to have to move her to a place where others would help care for her and he would be traveling back and forth to see her and what that was like. But in that process, he started telling me about their life together, the 60 plus years of marriage. And he said something there and he said, you know, Phyllis was the one who made all the lights turn green for me. 
That's pretty good. He was so grateful and so thankful for all the points along the way where she was alongside. Strong ally, powerful assistance. Lisa does that for me. I'm grateful. See, Anna, you got this started, and I just can't seem to come back. It was February of 2010. I was walking along the beach in Florida, St. Petersburg to be exact. I'd gone down there to watch our son AJ play some baseball down there, and sometime while I was staying there, my older son Joshua, he's the oldest in our family, he's the father of Adele. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, Joe, That's, I didn't call. I don't give Joe any cues, he just has to look at me and wonder what I'm doing. And Joshua came down to visit, and we were together in a hotel room, and in February of 2010, I was in the midst of a major transitional part of my call, and I was wondering what to do with myself. And I had been at Oak Knoll for eight years, and the call committee from Normandale had contacted me in November, and we'd had a conversation, and then we waited quite a while, and then in December we had a conversation, and then it was Christmas, and so we just said, let's not talk for a while because we all got a lot to do in the church that season, and so we waited, and I talked to them again in January, and then we didn't decide anything, and we waited. And so now it was February, so I was four months along in the wilderness, in the wilderness of that, that in-between place where you're not sure if you're back here or out here. And the wildernesses of life are many. There are so many places. Like, it's kind of like what Rich described about the storm. You know, you're either going into one or you're just coming out of one, getting ready for the next one in front of you. I think a wilderness like that. And scripturally, the wilderness is powerful. We know all over the place. It's that in-between where God's working on you and you really don't know where you are. And so my son Joshua came down, and he at that point, 24 years old, ambitious business guy working at Target Corp downtown. And uh, he, we were staying in the same room. And as I was going through all this struggle and this turmoil, I was thinking about, well, what, you know, how, what, how do I share? Who do I tell this? Because this is a really, really confidential deal. Like, nobody knows. Lisa and I know, and nobody knows. I couldn't tell anybody. That's a long time not to tell anybody about something so significant in your life. And so on the last night that we were together there in Florida, Joshua and I were walking along the beach, and I, I don't know how far we walked in the darkness of that beach. It seemed like we were on the beach for as much as three hours. And we were just walking one direction, and finally we turned around and started on our way back. And somewhere on the way back, it was the spirit stirring inside of me that said, go ahead and tell him, right? Go ahead and tell your son. So I started to unfold my story. I said, Josh, I don't really know where I am. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. And I, I told him about the process that I was in with Normandale Lutheran Church. And so I unfolded that story. and He listened to me with this kind of patience that I couldn't imagine that a son could have for his father. The roles were in reverse. There was something new taking place. 
as I finally got to the end of the story and I said, so I, I'm at this point and they're ready to offer me this call and I'm not sure if I should accept it or not. And Joshua said this, I'll never forget, he said, well, you don't have to accept it. But if you don't accept it, you'll be settling. That was all he said. And I kind of understood that in his 24-year-old ambitious mind, right? This is the guy who's, you're 24 years old, you're still out tackling the world. You're taking it on, right? You can do it all. It's all possible when you're 24. And we got back to the room and I laid down on the bed and I was just kind of praying by myself and I was thinking, I was saying, God, say something to me. Tell me about what this means. And I realized as I was reflecting on that, that Joshua was saying back to me everything I had been teaching to him, right? Lord, make me more like you because he wants to be just like me, right? So I had been teaching him all of his life that when God puts things in front of you and opens doorways, you need to go through, no matter how afraid you might be, because it's for you. And all of that, you can't know it until you already do it, is for your growth and for your strength and so that your gifts can be used in the way that God needs you. So he was reflecting back to me everything that I'd been teaching him and I knew when I woke up the next morning, I was moving on. I've thought a lot about this parenting thing in my life. Um, I really truly believe it's about the parent's willingness to suffer. <laughs> I used to think, why is this so painful? And then I realized that's the point. <laughs> Parent parenting is about willing to have your heart torn open so that the love might grow greater. And it e either can be healed and calloused in hard ways or it can become bigger love. So parenting is about having your heart torn open so that your love might grow. When I was first parenting, I, I was thinking about how I, you know, I was trying to gain some metaphor, you know, like what, what do I ground this thing on? And, I, and I, knew, I knew something of the suffering love of God through Christ that was very real in this, you know, but, 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 I, but I couldn't somehow practice that in some real way early on. And so in my head was if you maybe had this, and I don't know where I, I got it from just the culture, and it's even scriptural in Isaiah, the potter and the clay, right? I am the potter, you are the clay. And I had the sense as a dad that it was my job to sort of shape this child and help them become what I could imagine them being if I did the right handiwork and crafted alongside, you know. And, and so I was, the potter and the clay was this image that I had in my head. And so I remember one time in church as we were illustrating the text from Isaiah about the potter and the clay, and we actually, we brought in a potter. And so they were up front while this was being read, and I saw the wheel spinning, and you know how this works, and the lump of clay is there on the spinning wheel, and the potter puts the hands on it, and they start to just kind of play with it in such a way that it starts to move, and pretty soon up starts to rise this pot. Now, well, this is pretty cool, and you can, the hands are just right, and the right amount of pressure on all sides. But if, but if the potter gets a little too much pressure on one side of the clay and not the other, you, you know, the pot goes, it goes off. It goes off course. And so it's no good anymore. It's not going to work. And then so you watch, and then what does the potter do? Boom! Just 
you know, I, I, I was the, I think that can't be it. Every time my child goes off course, I'm going to go, boom, start over. That wasn't what we were doing. We were making a perfect pot. And I said, I, I let it go. I just set that metaphor aside and I said, God, you got to give me a new one. It doesn't, it, it doesn't resonate, right? And so God gave me a tree. And in the front yard of the home where we raised our children, 24 years, where was this, there was this mammoth golden maple tree. And it was one of, you know, the ones with the helicopters, <laughs> seeds, you know, and they go everywhere, right? It, in fact, my favorite part of that story is when we remodeled our house, we, you know, you get all that crap going into the gutters, you know? So I, I was going to be, it was 1998. This was the best they had in the gutter guard world in 1998. So I had these mesh things put over the gutters, the metal, you know, and it had the, you know, just, it's, so I thought, yeah, I'm going to teach those little helicopters. And so the next time in the spring when they cut loose, right, they go like this and they're, I mean, seriously, it looks like snow in our yard and they came down seed first and they perfectly fit right into the mesh. And so they're standing up like a million little seed soldiers that was 10 times more work to get them out. But that's not the part of the story. So God gave me a tree, all right? A great big mammoth parent tree that just can't wait to reproduce itself every single year. And I would watch and these seeds would flutter all over and there'd be a gazillion of them, but inevitably a few of them would find root. They'd start to take, they'd get into the soil of the yard and they'd start to pop up. And I could watch these little seedlings grow. And depending upon whether we wanted them into the places they were, someone just got pulled up. But I would watch them at least long enough to understand what was going on between the parent tree and the smaller trees, right? So they'd raise up. And if they, fe if they fell too near to the parent tree, they didn't have a chance. They didn't have enough light. They didn't have enough water. They, if the parent tree was too close, the child tree couldn't grow. I was learning something. I was watching. The creator has an unbelievable design if we're paying attention to these kinds of matters. It took me a long time to learn this. But I hope some of you who are earlier on in the parenting thing might be able to take this with you because it took me a long time to learn this. And my oldest child had to teach me a lot about what this meant. He, he was teaching me. But what I learned in that is this. The goal of parenting is for your children to grow larger than you. The goal of parenting is for your children to grow larger than you. In order for that to take place, you have to be far enough away. You have to be close enough early on so that the elements don't destroy them when they're young and small and in need of all that you have to cover them with the pinions of your wings, right, to be nearby. But you have to let them move far enough away so that they can grow larger than you because everything that God intends in them was planted in the very first seed. It's all there for you to stand back and watch and it changed the course of my parenting life slowly I'm still trying to learn this 
God bless my first child who teaches me. And the other thing I'll say to you about parenting is that your children will teach you everything that you need to know if you're willing to learn. If you're willing to listen, step back, not know everything, right? Because you don't know everything. You want to say you know everything because you're afraid because you don't. So it's okay to not know everything. In fact, clearly you don't know everything. I say children are the textbooks of their own life. The problem is that they write themselves as they go along. You can't read ahead. You just, you, you can't read ahead. Only God knows all of that, right? So as Patty was praying this morning, I'm listening. It's like, yeah, we totally, we will trust you, God, because we believe that you are already active in their lives. It's your job just to get alongside and watch what God is already doing and then perhaps cheer it on and occasionally intervene when you're needed. They are the textbooks of their own lives. The problem is they write themselves as they go along. And the goal of your parenting is for them to grow larger than you. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it, bear much, it bears much fruit. From the very beginning, the growth of the child's life is a splitting of the seeds, torn open, torn apart, and every growth in their life is painful. Their knees hurt because they're growing. Their heart hurts because they're trying to relate to others. Their mind hurts because the world is so complicated. But unless you're willing to allow them to suffer, be close enough by, far enough away, they will never grow fully into what God intends. So how did I learn? I recall a story in ninth grade. Joshua was in ninth grade. And, and our family um, is more, far more inclined to sports than we are to the arts. But we, we you know, you're, we're all, we can do it all in this world today, can't we? And we can have well-rounded children who can be gifted in every aspect of life. Right, and so the, we were going to have we were going to make some musicians out of this non-musical family, and so Joshua in fifth grade agreed that he would play an instrument because that's when it started. So Josh, I said, Joshua, you got We got to play an instrument. So he, he said, I, Okay, I'll, I'll play the saxophone. I said, Joshua, that's a great choice, you know. And so we were, Josh was playing the saxophone. We're telling, and so he played the saxophone in fifth grade and sixth grade, and we actually bought him a saxophone after renting it. And then in ninth grade, he played the saxophone for four years, and he got to high school, and we're registering for the first semester of high school classes. I'm so proud of him. We're sitting down together at the desk of the counselor, and he's walking through his thoughts about what classes and his schedule, and he's telling the counselor, I'd like to take math in, and he, and he turns and he looks at me, he says, oh yeah, dad, by the way, I am done playing the saxophone. <laughs> Brilliant. Tell your dad right in front of the counselor. <laughs> what is dad going to do? <laughs> the counselor just looked at me, and we just smiled a knowing smile, right? There was no response. He was done playing the saxophone, Right? I started to learn. He's the breaking. He, he knows what he's to do in this life. He's the emerging strength that God has already intended. Let it be and let it grow. 
He goes off to college. He played baseball at Minnetonka High School, and he got to college at Luther College. And of course, you know, I love baseball. So I think, I want my boy to play baseball, you know? And so he goes down to college, and, I, and I, he gets and thinking, and it turned out, all of his baseballs, he left it at home. He left his baseball glove at home. <laughs> right? And so we'd be talking on the phone, you know. I said, well, you thinking about playing baseball? Because it's spring. He's got time, right? Said, no, I, I, I'm good, Dad. You know what I'm saying? And a little later, I said, hey, I'm, we're coming down for a visit. Can I bring you your glove? <laughs> right? And Lisa and I just talked about this there, and I was like, we were, and we were saying, this would be good for him. It would be, he'd have self-esteem by playing baseball in college, and he could say, I accomplished, it was a bunch of crap. We were like trying to rat, it was like, we want, it was for us, right? I wanted him to play baseball, you know? And I said, can I bring you your glove? And just like ninth grade, he says, Dad, I'm not going to play baseball. Oh... This is that tree thing. You're trying to get a little further over here. You want to grow up fully and you want to grow larger than me. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. It remains alone. But if it dies, if it grows, if it splits, if it breaks open, it bears much fruit. We heard this morning the passage of John the Baptist announcing this powerful one to come after him. And then we heard the baptism of Jesus. And when Jesus came up out of the water, we hear that the heavens were torn apart and the Spirit of God came down and landed upon Jesus. This is my child, my son, beloved. With him I am well pleased. There are two places in Mark's gospel where this word is used, torn apart or torn open. And the other one is at the crucifixion. When Jesus dies and takes his last breath on the cross, we hear there that the temple curtain was torn apart, torn in two. The torn apart is about God breaking down the distance between us. The temple curtain separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And in that tearing apart, now everyone could live into the presence of God. Because until then, there was only one chief priest, one time a year, who was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies to offer the incense on the Day of Atonement for the sins of the people. The temple curtain was torn apart. The heavens were torn open and God came down. This this is a God who is willing to suffer for God's children. This is a God who tears apart everything that separates us from God so that we might live in the presence of God all the time. Parenting is a willingness to have your heart torn apart so that God might plant God's love, God's power, God's grace as you watch your children grow. The Lord be with you.
Let's pray. God, we are in awe that you have entrusted to us the very best of your creation, children. You've entrusted them to us. They are not ours. They belong to you. And we are the servants of what you will in their lives. Certainly, God, not by, your, not by our control, for that makes it a mess. But by what you will for their lives and in the grand glory of the kingdom that you imagine and the will that you have for this entire world, you give them a role in it. So help us to discern. Help us to sit in those times of suffering. Help us, O oh Lord, to allow them to split and to grow and to split and to grow. That they might grow fully into you. In Jesus' name, amen. One last thing before I give you, can I give them 10 minutes of, uh, actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to have you do some things individually based on the questions. So if you can post those, Joe, for me, because you're not going to have enough time to talk about all these things right now. I want you to do a little work on your own. But I'm going to share one more thing, and that is, uh, as I went to this new call, I had like all the buyer's remorse and the huge regret. Leaving a congregation is just, it tears me apart. It's it, you know, the, all the time you spend in people's lives and then saying goodbye and then starting over again. It's just painfully, painfully difficult. And so coming in a new place, I was, I was as lost coming into it as I was trying to get there. And so I, I was sharing that. And one of the things I will encourage you as your children go, or if you really want to empower your children to grow, tell them about yourself. Tell them about your insecurities and your vulnerabilities. Tell them about your weaknesses and your wayward ideas. And they, they, they need to know who you are. They, they, don't, they don't think you're smart. <laughs> so why fake it? You know, like just tell them the truth. And so I was sharing that truth. And I mentioned my daughter Hannah last night, who is in, in her own... She's, I have two feminine protectors of my soul, right? Lisa and Hannah. And uh, so I, I, I was telling Hannah, she was, how's it going, Dad? She, how's it going? How's the new job? How's it work? How's it? And I'd say, I would tell her, I said, I don't even know what I'm, I have no idea. I'm so lost. I, it's just horrible. I miss everybody that I was with at Oak Knoll. I'm trying to learn thousands of new names. I said, this is, it's, it's awful to be honest with you. I'm just lost, right? So what does Hannah do? She goes back and she writes me a letter. This is the one I was hugging, powerful assistant, strong ally, right? She, she now knows this, this is a two-way deal. So she writes me a letter, and she says, Hey, Pops, I know you're going through a rough time right now. And whenever I'm going through crap, you always are there. So I thought I'd return the favor. Galatians 5.22 but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, the Spirit will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. Hannah writes, I'm only 17, so I don't have as many words of wisdom as you, but we'll see what I can come up with. Love those who aren't loving you back right now. Be patient and wait for the joy that is soon to come. Be peaceful with whatever comes your way and use self-control. Shout out your kindness and goodness at everyone. And most of all, take a deep breath and use your gentleness through whatever comes your way. You helped me find my happy song this year. And now it's our turn as a family to help you find yours in this whole thing. Just keep listening to God and he'll lead you to the place you need to be. I love you to the pole and back. Sweet pea. So I put some things up here. I want you to think about, you can write yourself some notes about your children. The unique gifts you see in them. Write them down and make sure you tell them. Tell them. What current growth are you observing in your child or children? How does that manifest in pain, right? So when they're in pain, they just want you to be there. God doesn't say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take away all your pain. God says, I will suffer with you and even for you, right? There's no greater place of parental suffering than the pain of their own child. That's a whole new place, right? So I don't know what it means for me as a grandpa. You're just going to have to keep picking me up. What are the merging strengths that you see? Because you trust the pain, right? You trust that the suffering is redemptive. Something is emerging in them that's important. What are those strengths? Write them down and tell them. And how can you share yourself more openly? This is where you have those thoughts, you know, those things that you did in your life, and you go, hmm, do I tell that one? And then you talk to your spouse, maybe, and you go, well, 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 let's wait on that one. Maybe, well, let's see. Maybe a better time, right? Or maybe you tell about being in eighth grade and feeling absolutely 100% insecure about yourself because they say, oh, I'm not the first one to do this, right? Or you tell them about what you're experiencing even now in your life as they start to grow older. For a while, they'll just kind of look at you like, why are you telling me this? And then they'll be 24 and you'll be walking on the beach. So you have five minutes to write these things down and prepare how you're going to share them with yours, the ones that God has entrusted to you. Thanks for listening.